0: Welcome to Southern Discomfort. This is one of the most unique podcasts on the internet Southern Tales of the Weird, Wild, Mysterious, Unusual, Voodoo, Voodoo. Cryptids, Hauntings. Are you intrigued yet? This is Southern Discomfort. Southern Discomfort. And now, your hosts, April and Christine.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is part two of our episode on Angola. If you have not heard episode one, then I highly recommend you go back and listen to episode one.
2: Yes. Welcome and thanks for coming back. Okay, so
1: now we're going to get into Gruesome Gertie. And this is the name of Louisiana's electric chair. In 1940, Louisiana's method of execution was electrocution. And effective from June 1st, 1941, Louisiana's electric chair did not have a permanent home at first and it was taken from parish to parish to perform the executions. Can you imagine anticipation waiting for the gruesome Gertie to show up? No,
2: I honestly cannot.
1: Right. So it would usually be carried out at the courthouse or the jail. Um, Eugene Johnson, he was a man convicted of robbing and murdering Stephen Bench, who was a farmer who lived in Albany. He was the very first one to die in Louisiana's electric chair, Gersom Grudy, and he was electrocuted in Livingston in the parish Jail on September 11th, 1941. I mean, this is not that long ago in the grand scheme of things.
2: No, it, it really wasn't.
1: Right, so, I mean, of course,
2: we don't, we weren't alive then, but,
1: I mean, our, this is right before our parents, and certainly their parents were, so our grandparents, wow. So, in 1957, Mm -hmm. it was decided to build an execution chamber at the Louisiana State Penitentiary to carry out all executions in Louisiana.
2: Yeah, instead of having a mobile electrocution chair. I mean, that's just, it's ludicrous. If you think about it, it's ludicrous. It is.
1: It's very, it is very barbaric to think about. Like, they had to load this up, take it to place to place. Wow. Okay. So, notable executions in the chair in Gruesome Gertie were none other than Elmo Patrick Sonier. And this is the inmate um, from whom the film Dead Men Walking was based.
0: Um,
1: yeah. Yes. Um, Willie Francis, he was the only inmate to survive the electric chair. He was ultimately executed after the first attempt failed. I've heard horror <laughs> stories. I know. I've heard horror stories about this. About, and then before that, when it was hanging, um, there are accounts of people who survived that, even so, yeah. Anyway, um, in 1991, that's when the use of lethal injection became the method of execution in the state of Louisiana. So, the last person to be executed on Gruesome Gertie was Andrew Lee Jones, and this was on July 22nd, 1991. During its Fifty years, gruesome Gertie was used for a total of eighty-seven executions, and it. That's such
0: is
2: a stupid name too. <laughs> I know, gr- gruesome Gertie. <sighs>
1: right, I think Old Sparky is the the name of the electrocution chair from Parchman Penitentiary in Mississippi.
2: Is it really Old Sparky?
1: Right. Yeah. So they just have these telling it. I know a gruesome guardian. Okay, anyway, so it's it sits it's on display at the Louisiana Prison Museum in Angola. So in case anybody wants to go see that on your little trip on your destination trip that whenever
2: you, <laughs> whenever you do your um your regional yeah package trip yes, which by the way, I don't think is a is. I don't think it's a bad idea. I think you're onto something with that. Maybe one day, so disco could raffle
1: a (laughs) trip. Right? Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Um, Yeah. Use use code so disco. Just kidding. Okay.
0: So we are (laughs)
1: not, not,
2: but maybe one day
1: we're not professional travel agents either. (laughs) So now we get to the Angola three. So, the Angola Three were three African American former prisoner inmates Robert King, Albert Woodfox, and Herman Wallace. These were held for decades in solitary confinement while in prison at Louisiana State Penitentiary. The latter two were indicted in April 1972 for the killing of a prison's corrections officer, Brent Miller. They were convicted in January 1974. Wallace and Woodfox served more than 40 years in solitary, the longest period of solitary confinement in American prison history.
2: Yeah, you know, so it, it's not, I can only imagine that it would almost come be, become a situation where you're just completely dehumanized. 40
1: years. 4 decades. Which has
2: to be, in some ways, has to be worse than death. Absolutely.
1: Like, by yourself. We're social creatures. Wow. 40 years. I keep saying 40 years. That's a long time. So, Wallace and Woodfox were each sent to Angola Prison in 1971. Um, Wallace was convicted of a bank robbery, and Woodfox was convicted of armed robbery. And Woodfox was sentenced to 50 years in prison. At Angola, Wallace became a member of the Black Panthers. They helped organize education of other prisoners and petitioned hunger strikes to protest segregation within the prison and to end widespread rape and violence. They were targeted by the prison administration, who feared the politically active prisoners. The day after a prison guard was burned to death on April 17, 1972, 23-year-old prison guard Brent Miller was found dead after being stabbed 38 times. Woodfox and Wallace were indicted and convicted of his murder, although there were no physical evidence linking them. Witnesses were weak and exculpatory evidence was withheld. Wow. Yeah. This was a... This is a retaliation. For sure. Yeah. So uh, There were at least 137 stabbings at Angola in 1973 alone, and between 1972 and 75, 40 inmates were stabbed to death and more than 350 were treated with serious knife wounds. Jeez. Yeah. There were two positive developments in the 1970s. One, Louisiana's Governor Edwin Edwards appointed Elaine Hunt as Director of Corrections. Hunt was a Baton Rouge attorney who was thought of as a prison reformer. She closed the Red Hats and the Solitary and Confinement Hothouse. And two... The Angolite, this was an inmate-published magazine of the penitentiary. Wilbur Rito and Billy Wayne Sinclair became the editors in the 1970s. And under their leadership, the magazine became a must-read for corrections officials and prisoners' rights groups across the world. this reminds me of our Carville episode,
2: mm-hmm the, the, the publication
1: the star inside and that was what gave everyone outside and around the world a, you know a glimpse of um of life in their colony so yes
2: yeah it absolutely does remind um or make you think about that so i mean these are positive, yes I'm just looking. I'm trying to think. Okay. So it took 30 years or more yeah. for these advancements to occur.
1: Yeah. So I guess one thing Louisianans can do is like create a,
2: their feet.
1: Well, yeah. Or create a publication <laughs> to inform
2: others. Another train of thought.
1: Yeah. That's you. Yes.
2: Um, but no you're right like and that's important to um like you said it's a connector to the outside world. Yes.
1: It's and what it did was it exposed the prison rape, murders, executions and basically what life was life inside the penitentiary. In 1978 mm-hmm. they won the American Bar Association Silver Gavel Award and the Robert wow. F Kennedy Journalism Award. Oh my right? God. I know. For a prison publication. So, and in 1979, Rito and Sinclair, they received the George Polk Award in Journalism for Special Interest Reporting. So, I mean, like you said, yeah. that is a positive. It is. It absolutely is. And Sinclair wrote that as a death row inmate, he was confined to a cell for all but 15 minutes each day during which he must shave, bathe, wash his clothing, and get what little physical exercise he can. He was never outside the immediate vicinity of his cell. Thus, he is denied sunshine and exercise. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, they did shed light on how life was inside um, the prison and, of course, death row. But here's an excerpt from his writings. The men must live and eat in a cell where his toilet facilities are located in which many leak and some are constantly bubbling over. The men must drink water that is loaded with rust, and it stains everything it touches. Regardless of how much a man cleans and disinfects his cell, he still comes in contact with excessive amounts of bacteria. The men are fed from a food chart that is usually filthy, and numerous times insects, roaches, or human hair is found in his food, and many times Mm -hmm. the trays he must eat out of are stained with two of the three-day-old grease. Mm-hmm. Several months past, hundreds of small roaches were found nesting in the same bread box, which men are served because these bread boxes are used week after week, thus creating a haven for roaches.
2: <sighs> yeah. See, I mean, the the level at which basic human rights are denied these people is, is disturbing. <sighs> yes. Uh, so now...
1: You know, they can see where this was such an um, eye-opening opportunity for this publication.
2: Because when you're in prison, you don't lose your rights, your basic human rights. You're not supposed to lose your basic human rights. That's not supposed to happen.
1: Right. In the year 2000, Louisiana was the second highest in the nation behind only the District of Columbia, with 35,047 people in prison. By 2005, Louisiana held 36,083 people in prison with the highest um, incarceration rate in the nation. And this goes back to what you just said earlier. Yeah. The next highest state, Mississippi.
2: Oh, so shocking. I was
1: going to say, is anybody shocked about that? It's always Louisiana, Mississippi. Louisiana, Mississippi. Either the top of the worst or the bottom of the best. Jeez. Right. So in 2014, Louisiana held 38,030 in prison. First in the United States with the next closest state is Oklahoma.
2: So if you look at that number, in 2014, Louisiana held 38,000 plus. So to put that in perspective, the town that we grew up in is Probably twenty thousand max. I'm not sure. Don't yeah. quote me. Don't come for me. If you know where I'm from, but right. yeah, I mean that's a that's a city. I, I was going to say small town, but it's actually a city.
1: Yeah, it's it's about well, it's actually more than where we where I live. Now. Right.
2: So, yes, it I, is. Well, right, right. <laughs>
1: So there you go. That is a city. So a city size, a uh, small city size. Over five hundred prisoners were prescribed psychotropic drugs for mental illnesses from depression to schizophrenia. And in two thousand fourteen, they found the temperatures were over one hundred degrees in cells on death row at Angola. Sometimes with a heat index of one hundred and seven point seventy nine degrees. It gets hot in Louisiana, people. It gets hot gets very hot. So prisoners at Angola die at more than triple the national average for state prisons. And Louisiana spends less than half the national average on inmate health care. And in two thousand fourteen the state of Louisiana disclosed that roughly seventy three percent of Angola's six thousand two hundred and fifty inmates are serving life without parole. The average sentence for the rest is ninety point nine years. I mean, it's just dismal. Yes. And in 2016, Louisiana reported 4,860 offenders were incarcerated in the state's prisons serving life sentences. The average age was 46 years old, the highest rate in the nation. Mm. More than 85% of the men serving time in Angola will die there. The average sentence for prisoners in Angola exceeds 99 years. Mm. 99. Nonviolent prisoners cost Louisiana about $180 million. Louisiana reported paying over $127 million to operate Angola. So $56.15 per offender per day, over $20,000 per prisoner per year. Just to give you some cost. The total corrections budget was $658 million, with $360 million going into state prisons and $22 million in medical care.
2: That's pretty far apart from the total number, the twenty-two million for medical care. I say pretty far apart. That's very far apart. All I mean, all of those are very uh, telling um, metrics and numbers around the prison, and so. It's a good segue into um, the warden that served um, from 1995 to March 7th, 2016, Burl Kane. Um, He is famous for the complete overhaul of Angola, once known as America's most violent maximum security prison and um, attributed for numerous improvements and lowering the rate of violence at the prison. Um, but, also had um, numerous personal criminal allegations. Yeah. So, uh, allegedly, right? So, <laughs> I mean, that's typical Louisiana, right? Yeah. Typical. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yes. And, so he allegedly sold interest in land that he owned in West Louisiana Parish to two developers who were either family or friends of two Angola inmates um, in for murder. Um, the state legislative auditor and the State Department of Public Safety and Corrections uh, began investigations into this issue. And in May of 2016, he was exonerated of any wrongdoing with respect to using his, um, or using employees to perform personal home renovations. He claimed that he never sold anything, and it was just thinking outside of the box. Yeah, he was just getting creative. That's
1: all I'm doing. That's, yep,
2: that's it. Nothing to um, see here. Yeah, nothing to see here is creative spending or... only not be mad because
1: you didn't think of it. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Um, one paper uh, reported that the organizational chart for Louisiana prisons looks more like a family tree. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. There's Louisiana for you. Again, it's so shocking. I just can't believe it. Um, during his tenure... He increased media access to the prison, and several documentaries were filmed at the prison. And there's one called "The Farm" that I watched. That there, it's a it's actually
1: yeah.
2: I can't remember the years. I think it was the first maybe done in like the 80s, and then they did a follow up in the 2000s or um, I want to say uh,
1: 90s, something like 90s. That
2: that's it. That's it. Yeah. So. That one I, is worthwhile to watch. I, I actually did get a lot out of it. So um, yeah, if it, anybody
1: Yeah. It, it can be dry at times just because it's a little dated. But it, it is good. It's a good watch. If you really yeah, are interested can, in this. If
2: you can get past the fact that it's old, you know, it does delve into stories of individual prisoners too which I found very interesting so you know if anybody's interested it's called the farm and then it's called um I think so the first one's the farm and then I think the second one is back to the farm something I, I'm not sure I, I can look it up and 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 give the um correct name yeah on YouTube we yeah So um, he also established a TV station at the prison and supported um, the news magazine and radio. Um, So some of the events that were filmed at the prison include the radio, football, boxing matches, um, and Kane established a prison-run hospice program in 1997. In 2008, he became the longest serving warden in the history of Angola. Yeah. And here we are <laughs> with another interesting tidbit. As of 2020, he became the head of the Mississippi Department of Corrections. Governor of Mississippi, Tate Reeves, chose Kane as the agency head.
1: I mean, why not? Like, okay, Mississippi taking Louisiana's leftovers. It doesn't matter that you have a, t- a tarnished past. Although, he does have some accomplishments. That's for sure. So He does.
2: And, you know, he's, anytime you hear or you read something about Burl you King, know, one of the common things is that he took Angola and made it in his own image. Like, he, he made it what what he thought it ought to be. And because, you know, this ties back to a lot of the dismal statistics that um, you outlined for us, you know, these men didn't have a whole lot of hope for anything because, you know, they're in here, pretty much they know they're in there either most of their life or they're going to die there. So, you know, it's like... His goal was to give them a sense of hope and to give them a sense of, um, or or purpose in life. And, 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 you know, I'm obviously not going to, um, get into a lot of details around that, but what he used is religion, specifically Christianity, um, to, to give the prisoners that sense of hope and purpose, um,
1: so they adored uh, him too, the inmates.
2: Oh my gosh. If you watch that documentary, like they're like, hey, Warren. And yeah. he's like, and he like knows them by name. He, right. knows their, he knows what they're in for. He knows like personal situations with family. Like he remembers that stuff and he like undertakes to, uh, have conversations with him when he's walking down the hall or when he's driving through the field, you know, it's, I mean, in a lot of ways you can't see why he was so likable.
1: Right. Of course he met them where they are in a lot of um, respects and and he showed them respect. That's one thing he did was he showed them, respected them as a human being.
2: Exactly. So, I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot to be said around that. Um, so the campus itself, there are six main areas that are called camps. Every prisoner works eight hours a day, five days a week, and they earn, they earn two cents per hour, and they can earn annual raises of four cents an hour. They primarily work in the fields farming um, and the crops, Consists of corn, soybeans, wheat, cotton, tomatoes, cabbage, okra, onions, strawberries, beans, peppers, greens. Um, They tend the cattle, they make license plates for the state, and they work in the mattress shop. Um, Angola is still operated as a working farm, and the former Warden Kane once said that the key to running a peaceful, maximum security prison was that you've got to keep the inmates working all day so they're tired at night
1: (laughs) right i thought that was interesting but also that does give a person whether you're outside of a prison or you're inside it gives you a sense of um putting in a good day's work and accomplishment
2: well it's true i mean like it's that whole giving somebody a purpose thing, like right. Um, our stepdad has always and forever said, you know, you need a purpose, you need a reason to wake up in the morning and somewhere to go, right? Um, so that you know resonates, I think, in that context, right? So, um they pay for their own medical care, including six visits, which are $6 per visit. They pay for their basic toiletries, like toothpaste, soap, um, and their even their clothes, shoes, phone calls, snacks, and legal copies. Yeah,
1: and um, that legal <laughs> fee seems really high if you're making two cents an hour,
2: or even four. Uh, right? I mean, I'd be like looking at my at my budget going, mm, I don't know if I can make these cuppies or if I can eat my Zuzu's. I've right. got to make a decision. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, what is a Zuzu? That's the snacks. That's what they call them inside. Don't ask That's me how I, mean, I know. Like,
2: it's a catch-all for snacks. It's not like a specific snack. Um, that I don't know. But, I don't know. It's just funny to say. Right. <laughs> never mind <laughs> fun and funny to think right um all of the prisoners housed in camp f are trustees who mop the floors deliver food to other prisoners and perform other support tasks um it all camp f also houses angola's execution chamber it has a lake where trustees can fish it is a self-sustaining community with a post office, fire department, and it's the only prison with a TV station. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's pretty fascinating.
1: It so reminds me of Carville and its self-sustaining community. And also, the it, yeah, doesn't it, though? Well, I was going to say, it absolutely does. And then also, I don't know that, that you have this in... And uh, what you were gonna say, but everything that they that they toil out in the field, then the crops that they harvest, that's what they eat. So they do eat those those freshly grown vegetables and food.
2: Although I'm glad, you know, it's interesting that you brought that up because I think it was in the it was in a documentary or something that I read how um, taxpayers. So okay, so they start growing this is in recent years they start growing um or not growing they start uh, producing grass-fed like beef products and taxpayers started complaining that prisoners should not be allowed to eat the grass-fed products <laughs> that the prison wow. isn't that just yeah. disgusting it is yes it's like... because they're the ones doing all the work yeah. but they can't Have the spoils. Right. No, that's just the basic human right that they're entitled to. But uh, anyway, right. (laughs) Um, Not here, anyway. Right. So, um, Angola is the only penitentiary in the country to be issued an FCC license to operate their radio station. KLSP, Um, Louisiana State Penitentiary is the LSP, is a It's a 100 watt radio station that operates at 91.7 on FM from inside the prison to approximately 6,000 potential listeners, including inmates and the penitentiary staff. The station is operated by inmates and carries some satellite programming um, inside. Uh, KLSP is called the Incarceration Station. I
1: love it, right? Because they still have their creative flair. I love it. That's pretty amazing, right? It's the only, at least at, it, it um, I don't know that there are any outside of what this this research shows
2: that it, it's the only issue
1: to FCC license. That's amazing.
2: I mean, it is. It's no. It's notable. It's newsworthy. It's something that just is fascinating to me. Right. So Beeline um, is the only community behind Prison Gate. Yep. And here you go.
1: This is why
2: there's the nickname a gated community. Here we we are. We have arrived. Um, So it includes a group of houses which it's called Beeline, and they function as residences for prison staff members and their families. Inmates do perform services for the staff members and their households. Um, the employee housing includes rec centers, pools, and parks. And there is actually a golf course constructed on the site of a former bull pasture opened in June of 2004, Prisoners performed most of the work to construct the course. Um, Prisoners that the administration considers to be the most trustworthy are permitted to work at the golf course. Warden Kane stated that he built the course so employees would be encouraged to stay at the prison over the weekends. He wanted them to um, be available for any um, emergencies that may arise. They have rec facilities um, like ball fields, uh, the prison view, golf course, a swimming pool, a tennis court, and a walking track. Lake Killarney, an oxbow lake of the Mississippi River, um, located on the prison grounds, has large crappie fish in it. Doesn't that sound like
1: you just read something like, oh, welcome to this gated community that has... Like, like some advertisement of this high-end community. Yeah, like,
2: you you could, that could come right off the page of a brochure. Right. So, and furthermore, gazebos, picnic tables, and barbecue pits line Butler Park, a rec facility, on the edge of the property. As of 1986, <clears throat> inmates with no major disciplinary issues for at least a year are allowed to use it. Oh. That's, that's fabulous. Plenty of um, amenities. Yes. And like you said,
1: recreational opportunities. It, um, that I mean, that really is fascinating to me. All that's built in for the um, for most of the, that was for the employees there because they don't make that much money. But when you add in some of these amenities, it it, it could be attractive as far as sure. supplemental benefits. Or a potential employee, right?
2: Because you, when I first read about it, I thought, well. So when I first read about how the Bee Line, you know, I thought, gosh, who would want to live there? When I first read that that was the community, but then when you start seeing what that entails, you're like, I'd live there. That's not that's yeah. not bad at all, right?
1: So one of the The most um, infamous uh, attractions that that Angola offers is the Angola Prison Rodeo. (laughs) It's the longest-running prison rodeo that first began in 1965. This is as a joint endeavor between offenders, prison employees, and civilians who live in Angola's residential area. The first two radios in 1965 and 1966 were not open to the public, though, however. But add this to your destination trip that you're going to be coming on to visit Tunica Hills and the Myrtles um, and then the uh, Angola Rodeo uh, Museum. And also make sure you plan it where you can go to the rodeo because it is so much fun.
2: Which I think they have twice a year now,
1: they, don't they? They do. Um, in COVID times, in this COVID environment, environment, it might be a little different. But um, before that, it was in October and April. It was every Sunday in October and I believe every Sunday in April. It's it's a good time, guys. You should go. Um, but this was beginning in 1967. They sold a limited number of tickets uh, to the general public for admission to the rodeo. The proceeds of those sales they benefited the inmate welfare fund, and that funds the recreational and educational programs for the inmates, which is an amazing idea. I like now it you did. you have a um, you have a profit stream that you can put back into you know your the system. To benefit the inmates um the spectators at the first rodeos they had to either sit on pickup trucks or bring seating to the small rodeo and I I can only imagine I knew that
2: I know that had to have been fun back then as well too I mean it had to have been and then now like you know I know you've been I've been one time probably 30 years ago but even at that time there was an arena yeah And so, as you can imagine, the rodeo grew
1: into popularity, and the penitentiary. They built the first rodeo arena in 1969 to contain 45,000 attendees in 1969 at a at a prison for a prison rodeo. That's outstanding.
2: So, um, but today, I I mean, I I would only imagine no other prison can can tout anything (laughs) like (laughs) these. Right, uh, amenities, and then this event. Right. Um. So,
1: as we'll get into, this was all like Burl Cain's. This was his brainchild, right? So, but today, the arena accommodates more than ten thousand attendees. Um, they continue to um, get the. It's a behavioral incentive. It rewards the offenders with good behavior to compete in. Um, not only the rodeo, but furniture, art, and jewelry, because they also, as an aside to the rodeo, that have their arts and crafts festival. So you can buy their wares, and I've bought several things in the past. And you know, when you, I guess, when you have a lot of time on your hands, these
2: inmates are very talented. This work yeah, is it's, pretty amazing. It's not like arts and crafts you think <laughs> right. of. It's like it's like really intricate artwork. It is. They carve out
1: like solid wood rocking chairs that they sell for hundreds of dollars. Gorgeous. Beautiful. Um, I bought some stained glass pieces, you know, that has been painted on, some hand painted pieces. They have jewelry. It's all handmade. It's amazing. And, and they, mind
2: you, they spend most of their time, like you said, during the year getting ready for this. Like, this is their highlight. This is the big... This is the main event. Absolutely.
1: And it's something for another thing for them to look forward to and have, like you said, hope and just, you know, something to look forward to in the future. And they're they're actually crafting something. There's a lot to be said for that. Um, And the... M- Inmate participation its entirely voluntary, and many offenders um, see, see the rodeo as a rare opportunity to feel as part of the society outside of the gates, and they take pride in showcasing their talents, so that's huge. That's just a huge um, th- thing for them to go through, so... Angola's Rodeo incorporates traditional and unique events like traditional rodeo. It hosts bull riding, bronco riding, barrel racing, and steer wrestling. And it also includes convict poker. This is where four offenders play poker seated at a table with a loose bull and the last sitting offender wins. yes like this is so tense this is like oh my god and the crowd is just like into it and you're just watching it and they have nothing to lose so yeah which
2: is wild because it's a real thing right (laughs) like this event like i know you don't watch the show i'm sure we do have some listeners that watch the show yellowstone and this is not really a spoiler but just in case spoiler alert so there is an episode where the uh wranglers take their poker game into the arena and they play this just for like shits and giggles
1: oh okay wow yeah this is this is for (laughs) real for real though
2: (laughs) real thing but they win they win money for it they can put in there yeah whoever i guess the last one at the table
1: yes and then they have um this game prisoner pinball this is where the offenders stand in randomly place hula hoops with a loose bull and the last one standing it's, i would be like first of all i wouldn't even try it but then i would be like i'm out oh no, no
2: yeah
1: i'm full coming at me but like i said you know if you have nothing to lose go out there and do it by all means the cutest thing though that they have is little monkeys dressed in cowboy outfits that ride dogs that herd sheep. That's the cutest yeah, little that thing. That
2: is the absolute cutest thing you'll ever see.
1: You can YouTube this too. Like this, um, it's not part of the of um Angola. It's just an added. of they bring this group in that does that. But that's <laughs> fun. That's fun to watch. <laughs>
2: that ride dog. That hurt but they're
1: like cute little outfits, and they even have little cowboy hats that fit on their little monkey heads. It's so cute. They have a little fringe vest, it's precious, it's absolutely adorable. Oh, so, uh, I was gonna say Google it, but you can definitely YouTube it. So, um, the grand finale though, oh my gosh, is what everybody stays for. It's called Guts and Glory, and they put a poker chip on the head of a bull, the toughest bull. They release it in their arena and all the inmates scramble to snatch this chip off of his head. To, uh-uh. to and that's I, they want that's the biggest prize they win.
2: Um Well they probably win like bragging rights, too, inside. Yes. But oh my gosh. We have to get so close to get dangerously close
1: to that bull to get that chip. I think it's like five hundred bucks or something like that. But um, they're real, and it's they when you make two cents an hour, and that's a fortune. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yes, like, yes, yeah, absolutely. And then they're like, like I said, like what well, we got to lose? Go, go for it. So, and then they make it look. I mean, it is scary and it's tense, but it's just fun. It's fun to watch. It's like, oh my gosh, cause you can just feel the like
2: how dangerous it is. <laughs> Stress. I mean, that's. I- Yeah, it's hard to watch, and like I said, it's been a very long time since I've been, but it is hard to watch at times. (laughs) Right,
1: but um, all the events are real, and they can be dangerous, but it is produced by rodeo professionals with years of experience, and each event, they do have the trained rodeo professionals and the professional rodeo clowns, who their job is to save lives by distracting bulls. So they have the rodeo clowns too, which is, um, you know, they're pretty funny as well. It's all entertaining, but um, they have they do wear protective gear, and um, they have emergency vehicles and personnel right there in case anybody does get injured. In case anybody was wondering. You know, it is, this is a professional event, people,
2: you know, closely monitored, heavily regulated.
1: Right. I mean, I'm sure people are like, oh, you prisoners, inmates, you know, just throw them out there. But no, it's, it's a, it's a really big deal. It's a big production and it's hard. They sell out. Like, it's hard to get tickets to, well, I don't know about in recent years because of COVID, but. In 2014 and 15, more than six million dollars generated by the prison radio wasn't deposited in the state treasury or included in the annual corrections department budget as required.
2: Uh oh! Uh
1: oh! <laughs> Here we go! Oh, okay. So, Angola prison radio, like I said, they're held in on Sundays in October and in April. So, yeah, they are. And big moneymaker, huge. So, during Burl Kane's tenure, it brought in about $4 million annually for the prison education and religious programs. That's huge. That's amazing. Every single radio sold out, all 10,000 seats. The inmate bands perform. So, you were talking about how they. They create these, their crafts and their wares all year long, but they also, like, practice in their bands. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then also, we didn't mention this, but you do, you, you, the visitors, that can buy food and drinks and a lot of fun stuff. It's, it really is family-friendly. It's a whole family-friendly affair. And the trusted inmates do run these concession stands as well.
2: And another thing that was in the, I don't know if you have the, in your notes, that was in the documentary is how, so the prison has a horse breeding program, which is also very creative, but they have all of the, uh, I guess, I guess they would be like wranglers. They have the staff who are trusted inmates that work with the horses and that is a highly highly coveted job to have at the prison and it's something you know they work year-round not only on the breeding program but training these horses for the rodeo which is like a huge deal and there there is a guy in one of the episodes of the documentary or in the documentary film I should say where he actually gets into trouble and so he gets he gets released from his job um working with the horses and it was just like devastating for him yeah, to yeah. have lost that position cuz he'll probably never get it back
1: right no i did see that yes right this is a I mean, it's huge i can't even express how big of a deal this is inside and outside the prison um, and like you said the, about the documentary earlier, there is an Oscar-nominated documentary about Angola's Rodeo, The Wildest Show in the South. So this is the Ang- Angola Prison Rodeo. And it was up for an Academy Award for Best Documentary Short. So, I mean, there's this nothing to sneeze about. This is a really big deal. Um, but there's also, wanted to mention, I wanted to mention two notable women for prison reform Elaine Hunt and Margaret Dixon, they have Louisiana correctional facilities named after them. So, those are the women's um, correctional facilities. So, um, one big thing that we can't leave out is Billy Cannon, who was a longtime dentist at Angola. So, his name, for those of you who don't know, his name was William Ab Cannon was born august 2nd 1937 and died may 20th 2018 he was an american football running back and tight end who played professionally in the american football league and the national football league he attended louisiana state university go tigers where he played college football as halfback return specialist and defensive back for the lsu tigers now that's one i've never heard of but what do i know so at LSU, Cannon was twice unanimously named All American. He helped the 1958 LSU team win a national championship and received the Heisman Trophy as the nation's most outstanding college player in 1959. Which has only been done by one other. <laughs> Go Tigers. Yes. Go Bengals. Joey uh-huh. B. Okay. So everybody's All American. So that's a movie. Then I always thought this movie was about Billy Cannon, but I looked into this. The creator says the main character is a composite and he never met Billy Cannon. Really? Yes, although it was filmed in Baton Rouge and around Baton Rouge and um at LSU Stadium, Tiger
2: Stadium. Well you remember our parents took us to that game. Right. Where they filmed. Okay. Right. But he was
1: um That's what the creator said. So, Cannon was born in Philadelphia, Mississippi, which I thought found very interesting. He attended Estrema High School in Baton Rouge. And why is he famous? On Halloween night, Cannon led the LSU Tigers into Tiger Stadium to face the third-ranked Ole Miss Rebels. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: For most of the game, neither team's offense managed to reach the end zone. Late in the fourth quarter, when the Tigers trailed 3-0, Cannon returned a punt 89 yards for a touchdown. He broke seven tackles and ran in the last 60 yards untouched. His punt return against Ole Miss on Halloween night in 1959 is considered by fans and sports writers to be one of the most famous plays in LSU sports history.
2: Which is crazy, right? Because I know that, but when I heard you say it, <laughs> I got pillowed. Right, yes.
1: This is why I couldn't leave this part out. So, he played for the Houston Oilers, Oakland Raiders, and Kansas City Chiefs. Um, Angola has had many movies and documentaries filmed there. As you said, The Farm. It was 1998. And it was filmed with a focus on the lives of six men. And it won numerous awards, actually. And then movies such as Dead Man Walking, Monsters Ball, I Love You, Philip Morris. Um, Aaron Neville has a song about it called Angle Abound. Check it out. You can't play it here, unfortunately. We'll get in trouble, but, um, you know, just if you so are inclined, go check it out. And um, they have some pretty notorious inmates. We'll get into that now, so... I'm sure most people know Derek Todd Lee. He is also known as the Baton Rouge serial killer. He was an American serial killer between 1992 and 2003. He murdered seven women in the Baton Rouge area. and He died in 2016 of heart disease at the hospital in Louisiana. Um, That's where he was transported for the treatment um, from Louisiana State Penitentiary, where he had been awaiting execution. I remember that that wasn't that long ago. I remember when he was released uh, for that. Uh, yeah, and then we had mentioned him earlier, William Wilbert Rito, actually, because I can't read my notes. Um, he's, <laughs> he's an American convicted killer and former death row inmate from Lake Charles, Louisiana. He became an author and award-winning journalist, where for he was held for forty-four years in Angola prison. He was convicted in 1961 for first-degree murder of Julia Ferguson in the course of a bank robbery and was sentenced to death. And then his counterpart, Billy Wayne Sinclair, he pleaded guilty to a sex offense involving a minor and served in one year in state prison for this sex offense. And he was convicted of killing James C. Bowden during a robbery attempt in Baton Rouge. That's where he was sentenced to death in 1966. Who also became a notable journalist, um, co-editing the Angolite with William Rito, and then they together they won national journalism awards and, you know, just things like that, as you do. So um, yeah. <laughs> also, this is one I didn't know, and I found very interesting, Frank Morris. This is the Frank Morris. That escaped, it was, it was um, incarcerated in Alcatraz and escaped from Alcatraz. He served time in Florida and Georgia. And then he escaped Louisiana State Penitentiary after sh- serving 10 years for bank robbery. Yeah, he got
2: around. Right. And like
1: to escape. But he escaped um, Angola and Alcatraz, which they're both like surrounded by water because hi, hi. Angola is nicknamed Alcatraz of the South. Isn't that
2: crazy? That's wild.
1: Um, Corey Miller, otherwise known as C-Murder. He's a rapper and brother to Master P. In 2002, he was arrested in connection with the murder of 16-year-old Steve Thomas and was sentenced to life in prison on August 14, 2009. He's serving his sentence at Angola.
0: Mm-hmm. Um.
1: James Carroll Booker III, he was a New Orleans rhythm and blues keyboardist, born in New Orleans. He had a unique style combined um, rhythm and blues with jazz. And musician Dr. John, I thought this was so, I did love this. He described Booker as the best black, gay, one-eyed junkie piano genius New Orleans has ever produced. He was flamboyant personality, and he's also known as the Black Liberace. Okay, Torrance Ivy Hatch Jr., y'all know who that is, right? Lil
2: Boosie.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Lil Boosie. In 2009, he was sentenced to four years in prison on a ju- uh, drug and gun charges, and he was released March 5th in 2014.
2: I'm pretty sure he lives in Mississippi now. I'm
1: pretty sure it's Atlanta Oh, I mean, don't know. I don't know. I do follow him on Facebook, but I don't know. I'm kidding.
2: Huh. Okay. No, I
1: could be wrong. I was just, I don't know. I don't know. I could be wrong. He could be between the two. Yeah. Somewhere. Maybe all three. Maybe here, there, and, or maybe not even in, in Baton Rouge. Maybe he's
2: hot enough. I think I just remember somebody saying that they knew uh, somebody like his uh, what do you call it? His promoter because he still does shows.
1: Yes, yes, he does. Um, Sean Vincent Gillis. Okay, here's one. I bet a lot of people don't know as well as Derek Todd Lee. This is Baton Rouge's other serial killer. And he's a rapist and necrophile who stalked and murdered eight Louisiana women between 1994
2: and 2004. Yeah. So, all around Baton Rouge?
1: Yes, in the Baton Rouge area. Arrested in 2004. Okay. Definitely. So the bigger
2: question is why don't we know more about this one?
1: Yeah, because he was overshadowed because it, it was the same time frame as Derek Todd Lee.
2: Okay.
1: Right. In the same area. Go figure. So, um, Carlos Joseph Marcelo. (laughs) If you don't know who he is, where have you been? Exactly. All of your life. He was American crime boss of the New Orleans crime family from 1947 to the late 1980s. He was convicted of assault and robbery and was sentenced for nine years and he was released after five. Kirksey McCord Nix Jr., this one a lot of people at least in this area should know he was reputedly the former leader of the dixie mafia in 1972 Nix was convicted of murdering frank corso a new orleans grocery executive and um, this is he murdered frank corso in the course of a break-in at his home and he began serving a life prison a life sentence without parole Nix was later involved in the 1987 murder for hire killing of judge vincent sherry and his wife margaret in biloxi mississippi his co-conspirator biloxi mayor pete Halot, had stolen hundreds of thousands of dollars from Nix and blamed it on his law partner vincent sherry and nicks ordered a hit from prison and was later sentenced to isolation for the rest of his life so the next one is the bayou strangler ronald joseph dominique He's an American serial killer and rapist who murdered at least 23 men and boys in the state of Louisiana between July, 1997 and 2006. And on September 23rd, 2008, he was found guilty and sentenced to several terms of life imprisonment without parole. There is a documentary, I believe on prime. I believe it's prime. Um, Called The, the Body
2: Strangler.
1: Yeah, called The Body Strangler. Okay, this one blew me away for several reasons. Yeah, I did not know this. <laughs> Freddy Fender. Oh, my gosh. Crazy. Okay. And
2: look how, I know mean, how long he was there. <laughs> okay.
1: I am going to go on record for saying I know who Freddy Fender is. I did not know that he was a hano. I didn't even know he was Hispanic, okay? His, he was born in Baltimore, Garza Huerta. And I know his song, Wasted Days and Wasted Nights, and I had no idea. But anyway, he was arrested for a marijuana charge. Oh, my gosh, people, really? And how long did he spend? In, uh, it's a long time. I don't have that in my notes, but
2: I'm just blown away. I mean, I have
1: yeah. I'm just like, Freddie Fender, what? <laughs> and
2: so. that, that was, I will say that one was like, there's some shocking ones in there, but that one was like the most shocking to me. I had no idea. Right. Absolutely.
1: Okay. This one is more recent. This is William Michael Hayden. He's a former American gunsmith, television personality, U.S. Marine, former gun shop owner, and convicted child molester. He is best known as a star from Discovery Channel's reality series Sons of Guns. Yes. He was convicted of sex crimes in 2017 and receiving three life sentences, and currently serving those sentences at Angola. Clementine Barnabet. This is one that I um, know about because he's the accused American serial killer who was convicted of killing one person and claimed to have killed as many as 35.
2: So that three serial killers or four? That's three. And that wraps up our part two
1: episode on Angola. Yeah,
2: it was a, it was a lot of information, a lot of, of, of really interesting information. So don't forget to plan your um, trip <laughs> down south. Right, so it was. That was a roller coaster ride.
1: And I just want to say thank you so much for those who did not did not give up on us and thank you for all of our listeners we love you
2: yes contrary to what you may have heard we're not southern disconnected podcast we are very much active and well um so looking forward to bringing you some more discomfort in this new year Don't forget to follow us on socials and uh, leave us a review and five stars. Thanks so much. And until next time.
1: Remember to keep one eye open because you never know what you might see.
0: You've been listening to Southern Discomfort with April and Christine. As you can tell, this is one of the most unique podcasts on the internet. So we want you to be able to reach out to us. Send emails to Southern Discomfort Podcast at gmail.com. On Facebook, it's Southern Discomfort Podcast. And on Instagram, it's Southern Discomfort PC. And for shows, visit southerndiscomfort.podbean.com. And this podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcast. Till next time, keep one eye open because you never know what you might see. This is Southern Discomfort, signing off.